0: Welcome to another awesome episode of the Foodie Flashback, the podcast where we talk about food, food food-related memories, and just everything that goes with it with a guest. And my guest today is someone, well, you might have heard of, like, I mean, he's been on a bunch of podcasts, he's been, like, he's been an author on the web, stuff like that. Uh, Not these days, I don't remember, like, I don't think you're... Doing any any writing? Not
1: actively, not actively (laughs) publishing anywhere. But thank you for remembering, uh, since it was several years ago. It's been a while. regularly contributing, and
0: and I've known you for a while. So um, my guest today is Mike Rose, Um, formerly media, silent media sensation. That's what I remember about you. (laughs) Um, No, you've been like you've been around in like podcasts. I mean, you have you have a couple of podcasts still, or at least one that I do remember that you're doing.
1: Yep. I still have one. So I'm uh, if and folks who folks who are among your listeners may remember uh, the unofficial Apple web blog and uh, late lamented unofficial Apple web blog, mm-hmm. uaw.com. And we had a live Sunday night show uh, called the Talkcast, which was on talk shoe. And it was a live dial-in, live call-in show mm-hmm. um, about all things Apple for actually quite a few years. Uh, it was going on for, for, for a long while, um, then shut down along with the – or a few months before the blog itself closed. Yeah. Um, but one of uh, one of the things that emerged from that show was my uh, friendship with Kelly Gamont, Gamont uh, who – was my co-host on, on the talk cast. Um, and then we decided we weren't done podcasting. So as soon as the talk cast was over, she and I started a show called the after show, mm-hmm. which is at after turns out there's a lot of podcasts named the after show, uh, mostly having to do with television or sports. Uh, ours is peripherally about television, not really about, well, actually a little yeah, bit about sports sometimes. too. Um, <laughs> But but largely about technology and culture. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's aftershowpodcast.com. We're on Twitter at the underscore aftershow, And in our most recent episode, uh, Kelly revealed to me that uh, over the decade plus that we've known each other for most of that time, I've been pronouncing her name wrong. Uh, it is not Guimont or Guimont as it would, it would be if it's in <laughs> French, but it's just it's Gamont. Uh, the UI is silent. As a good UI should be, you don't want it beeping at you
2: or making <laughs> little sure. noises. No so peeking. it's a good. It's,
1: it's a good mnemonic for me. It's like the UI is silent. Of course, mm. it is. It's a. It's a visual user interface, not mm-hmm. an audible user interface. <laughs> no, but um, yes, we 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 let, we have a great time doing the show, and I'm I am, f- not infrequently heard on um, Chuck Joiner's uh, Mac Voices, mm-hmm. Mac Voices Live. I've been a, a guest there over the years, um, and most recently, I've been one of the rotating uh, guests on Ken Ray's, uh in a few minutes, which mm-hmm. is his his weekly, his daily show that accompanies um, Mac OS Ken. Yeah. And that's that's a lot of fun. So we just actually, we just recorded uh, a fun uh, 15 years in the past, 15 years in the future show this week. Ooh, so, I will yeah. have
0: to listen to that. Uh, it's, I mean, all of those, all the shows you mentioned are like actually my favorites. <laughs> uh, I like I like Ken. I like Chuck. Like I mean, I do couple like I do BTN shows with Chuck and so on. Um, so yeah, it's you've you've been on my list. Let's put it this way. Um, oh. We glad to be here. <laughs> happy to have you. Um, we do know each other from the like the two days. Um, mm-hmm. We met once, I think. I don't remember whether it was more than that. But we met at Macworld. That that I do remember. Um, yeah. But to my knowledge. Uh, we have never talked about food and I don't know, have you ever talked about food on a podcast? Uh,
1: Not, not deliberately (laughs) that I can recall. Um, I don't think I've ever, I've certainly never been on a food related podcast. I know many, many food podcasters, um, including, um, one of the first, one of the several podcast marriages that I, that I know of, uh, Marissa McClellan, who is the Food in Jars podcaster, and who is also the spouse of Scott McNulty, who was one of my predecessors at uh, TUAW as a, as an editor. Um, the other there there's several other podcasting marriages I can think of. The other one that comes to mind is uh, Christina Warren and Grant Robertson, who met when they were uh, blogging and podcasting at Download Squad. Mm-hmm. Um, but but as far as food is concerned, yes. Uh, Marissa is the, is the main food podcaster I know about. I've never been on her show and, uh, no, never been on a food <laughs> podcast. So
0: you've done a couple of Instagrams though. Like I, I, oh, I yes, remember watching yes. you once like cooking. I didn't remember I did what it was. <laughs> one,
1: I did one Instagram live of, I don't know what, what prompted me to do it. I, <laughs> but I was, I, I was, uh, spatchcocking and roasting a chicken
2: Yeah.
1: And I don't know what made me think why maybe this would be interesting content, but I <laughs> did a Instagram live of spatchcocking a chicken, mm-hmm. and I think many of my friends thought I had lost my mind. certainly my children did <laughs> um but that was but it turned out really good it by was the way. Really good. i
0: really good. green mean
1: the- goddess roast chicken. I think I did take mm-hmm. a picture of it after it was <laughs> done. Oh my God, so delicious. Um, but yeah, that's the only. Like I, I, I am a, there's a Facebook group. I'm a member of called what's for dinner, which is usually just photographs of what people made for dinner. Um, and I'm, I'm fond of food Instagram. I have friends who are restaurateurs and bar owners, Mm -hmm. and I'm always curious about how that, how they make those choices. One of my, one of my oldest friends is the CEO of mouth, which is a, uh, us-based, um, artisanal gift uh, website. So mouth.com. If you're, if you're looking for candied bacon or, you know, special ice cube molds or whatever, it's, it's all food related gifts. Mm -hmm. And and Nancy is the, is the CEO, one of the co-founders and the CEO. And I'm always amazed by how effective food photography and food, food writing is when you can't taste it.
0: it (laughs) it's
1: It's the difference between, um, the difference between something like, uh, Great British Bake Off and Project Runway as in terms of, of television, like Project Runway, you can see the clothing. Mm-hmm. Like most of the experience of that clothing is going to be from the person, the perspective of someone who's looking at it, not the person who's wearing it yeah. or sewing it. So you get like 90% of the of the experience of that piece of clothing. Mm-hmm. You get less than 25% of the experience of that cream puff or that, you know, that uh, that loaf of chala. But you're still but the but it's still a compelling narrative and compelling yeah. experience because there's so much emotion wrapped up yeah. in that thing, in that thing that's been
0: created. The the interesting thing is really about like those I think I would say most cooking shows that you can look at it mm. and you can imagine eating it. To yeah, some depends extent. What,
1: yeah. it depends what they're cooking, but um but yeah, I mean, and I've I've been a fan. I mean, I'm a big fan of cooking shows. I'm an mm. old Brown fan. I'm a um a uh, diners drives and drive-ins and dives fan. Um, I love barbecue shows. You know, I, I like, and Anthony Bourdain, I like food TV, like television about food is is great. My wife would say that I consume far more food media than I produce food
2: <laughs> in the cooking
1: process, which is fair.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I love to eat. I like to cook.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I definitely like to watch watch, watch things about food and listen to things about food.
0: We'll have to talk about those barbecue shows. Um, <laughs> but, like, actually, that's a pretty good lead into my usual two questions. Um, okay. I, I always like to ask, like, and it's it's been really interesting to see different perspectives on this topic. Um, I like to ask my guests uh, what their definition of a foodie is and whether they consider themselves one. So I'm wondering about you.
1: The definition of a foodie. Um, you know that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, I think I think in 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 my in my upbringing or in my in my growing up, a foodie was someone who it had a connotation of being a snob mm-hmm. about about food or being a little bit you know, putting on putting on airs and having an affect uh, about food. Um, and I've I've changed that a little bit over time. Because now I think of it more as someone who finds a sense of adventure and takes delight in food, even if it's even mm-hmm. if it's simple or uncomplicated or unsophisticated. But you know, having having a sense of adventure, an adventurous palate, I think that's the fundamental definition of of being a foodie. Um, and what I what I am proud of. Um, is not necessarily my own, uh, enthusiasm for, for fine dining or for adventurous cuisines. Although I, I feel like I have that, but that my kids are both, um, have both grown up to have reasonably adventurous palates Mm -hmm. and to be people who are not afraid to try new foods and new things, um,
2: that's not and not a an lot of easy people.
1: Thing.
0: That's that's but, difficult to to get there.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of people say, "Well, that's that's sort of inevitable." If you're talking about kids growing up in New York City, which mine mm-hmm. have, but I don't, I don't think that's automatic. Um, I think, I think you have to put in a little bit of energy, a little bit of intentionality into that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think we did. Um, so yeah, so I'm really glad that they both are. Are willing to try new things and are willing to to have um adventurous palettes and and to and to be be forthright about what they like and what they don't like um they which they certainly are
0: yeah i mean the, the, uh, just growing up in that environment i don't think helps that much because it can also just repel you i mean either you never try it because like it is foreign to you and you just see it and you're like oh, i don't want to deal mm-hmm. with that um or it repels you because it's like you just have too many options, and you're just like, I, I, like. It's it's like the the issue with choice. Like you're, sometimes sometimes growing up in an environment like that, you're like, okay, I want to like I just want to deal with the things I know because the world is difficult enough as it is. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> like so, I don't
1: I don't need new things to mm-hmm. uh, to to focus on because yeah. I've got I've got enough.
0: Yeah. I mean it's probably difficult if you're growing up in like, I don't know. I talked to Brett about Minnesota. If you're growing mm-hmm. up there where there is not too much around, especially in the more rural areas, uh, and you don't get exposed to, I don't know, Mexican or Chinese or whatever, like maybe there's a pizza place like a couple miles away <laughs> and that's about mm-hmm. as far as it goes. Um, f- sure, that's more difficult for you to develop that that curiosity. Um, but as I said, like just growing up in that environment doesn't mean doesn't mean you automatically get like get more excited about it. Yeah. So um, we still haven't established. do you consider yourself one?
1: Right. Oh, we were <laughs> defining it and um, wow, I I guess I do. Um, I mean I certainly have a lot of interest in... In that, in the culinary domain, I'm very curious about it. Um, I'm also like a kitchen gadget person, so it's like the Instant Pot and the sous vide are are coming up. And I love—I mean, I love—I love my sous vide. I think it's amazing. It's actually kind of astonishing how, how good <laughs> stuff can come out when you use it. Um, but I like—I don't have necessarily really complex tastes, but I love the experience of trying. Uh, something new and something unfamiliar. I'll, I will will say that um, for my wife's birthday year before last, so this would have been October of 2019, I guess. Yeah. Um, we went, uh, one, of, one of my children was out of the country. So it was just the three of us, my younger mm-hmm. daughter and my wife and I. And we went I, and I didn't know what we were going to do. I didn't have a plan. And I, I heard about a restaurant in New York, in Brooklyn, in Prospect Heights called Honey Badger which was a wild to table. I think still is a wild to table restaurant, um, where it, the, the restaurant, which was run by a, by a husband and wife worked with their own farm and with foragers and with Mm -hmm. hunters to like bring not only seasonal produce, but wild fruits and nuts and wild game and, you know, um, Indigenous or heritage foods of the Northeast to the table in Mm -hmm. Brooklyn. I thought, wow, this is, this seems, this seems really cool. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, I'm not, I don't spend a lot of time hunting down prefix places. And, Mm -hmm. but I was like, this seems really cool. So we ended up going on a Tuesday night and turned out we were, it's a tiny place. It's maybe, maybe six or seven tables, Mm -hmm. but we were the only people there. Wow. So it's, it's the husband and wife and their daughter. Uh, who was maybe maybe nine or ten was sitting doing her homework at the mm. counter, <laughs> and then the two of them were cooking and serving and coming and checking and explaining. It's like, okay, this is a this is a ground chestnut mousse, and you know this and and um, younger daughter doesn't like mushrooms, so they <laughs> did they avoided mm-hmm. using mushrooms in one of the dishes and substituted a different like they made gnocchi for that. But it was it was extraordinary. It was just like one of the one of those bizarre, amazing experiences. Sounds amazing. And it was, it's really cool. And, you know, hopefully if they're, if they're back, uh, post pandemic, you should definitely Mm -hmm. check it out, honey badger. Um, but the, but the point being that, that I don't always seek out those experiences, but if I have the chance to do that or go to, um, you know, another sort of peak dining moment was going to Morimoto in Philadelphia, uh, when it when it not too long after it opened and it was and um Matsuhara Morimoto was there and was mm-hmm. running the kitchen at that point point. and that was just like oh my god such <laughs> a thrill and and there there's a as i've gotten older and i've gotten to know more professional chefs and more people involved in the industry being able to be sort of a part of their Experience is really cool too. So yeah. this year for my wife's birthday, speaking of, it's all it's all the, it's the Heidi's birthday show. So <laughs> wow. last year in 2019 we went to to Honey Badger. In mm-hmm. 2020, obviously we couldn't do that, but she, she said uh, uh, she said she wanted two things for her birthday since we couldn't have a big you know 50th birthday celebration, and one of them was a private concert from her favorite musician, mm-hmm. uh, Dar Williams, which we did get a private Zoom concert, which was amazing and the other was a you know private dinner cooked by her by our her favorite chef who is a friend of ours named uh, named Allison Plummer and um and Allison has had a a really amazing career she's she's stepped back from the restaurant industry for any number of reasons but um had an amazing career at um a couple places in Brooklyn um mm-hmm. lot 2 which is our favorite sort of neighborhood local place and then at the the red hook tavern which opened up a couple years ago and immediately shot to the top of everybody's Mm. you know must (laughs) must visits best burger in new york i've heard Um, about
0: both of them so (laughs)
1: they're both really good (laughs) (laughs) like they were both amazing and so allison and we 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 followed her you know we became friends with her because we would we Mm -hmm. would we were regulars um and then heidi asked her to invited her to come and 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 take the commission of doing a a private dinner Mm -hmm. and it was amazing but it's like i wouldn't think of that as the first thing i would do but it was it's spectacular to be able to do it um the third person or the other person i was thinking of is uh patty jackson who is a friend of mine uh the husband of an old old friend and excuse me the wife of an old old friend her husband is our old old friend and patty um for several years had a place, a restaurant in Williamsburg, which was also a prefix restaurant uh, called Delaware and Hudson, which was all about uh, the cuisine of the, of the, um, the, the uh, Appalachians and the uh, Balt- Baltimore and Maryland and the, the mid Atlantic
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, at Delaware and Hudson, it was like she had crab cakes, and she had um, scrapple, and she had an amazing, <laughs> amazing prefix dinner, and she had amazing brunch, and we we were you know we were sort of invested in in her success, and mm-hmm. really excited about being part of that and being sort of insiders. Yeah. Um, and then she got a Michelin star, and it was like, whoa, this is a this is beyond just like we're excited <laughs> mm-hmm. for our friend. This is real. This is a real thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so that was, that was spectacular. And that was, that was a wonderful, it's a wonderful feeling to be, to feel that you know about a place that's really special, mm-hmm. but that also you have, you're invested in the success of it um, yeah. in a way and, that's, that's personal.
0: And about the people behind it. I mean, it's not about the place. It's, it's, it's also about the people that, that work there and like and put everything they have in it, like their heart and their souls and like <laughs> blood, sweat and tears and everything. So, mm-hmm. like, I've, yeah. had that, I've had that same experience. There was, like, um, in Koblenz, there was a, a chef, really young, like, I to say mid mid to late, uh, probably late 20s at that point. Um, yeah. And he had, like, he had worked for some Michelin star, like, chefs and whatever. Um, and he opened up a teeny tiny restaurant, like, maybe 10 tables. Um, it was very special Uh, probably too special for the area because the people there are not they're not interested too much in Um, there but like we went there a couple of times and he was like really really nice and like he got a star within six months I think which wasn't expected like he, he thought I mean it would be a couple of years probably like learning everything and building on it and whatever like six months Wow. And it was that's, super exciting for him. Unfortunately, his like he he had a partner, like another chef, right? Uh, and yeah, as an investor, um, he shut it down. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it was I, unfortunate that one. I
1: I that's one of the things I love about I do love about traveling is that finding those places mm-hmm. that are, um, you know, provide a degree of specialization or are a little bit off the beaten path. I know when we this is now years and years ago maybe 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 10 years ago who mm-hmm. knows uh but we were in berlin and somebody i guess it was heidi wanted maltaschen. Mm-hmm. and and we found like the the schwäbische restaurant you know mm-hmm. off off <laughs> in the you know Not in the centrum, like (laughs) often hard enough to to find in
0: Berlin, probably, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I I mean, it it was, and it was so good. (laughs) Like I was like, I didn't, I didn't. I I mean, it's funny. It almost is is cliche, but it's like if you want to experience the the home cooking Mm -hmm. or the home cooking, the home cooking similarities of whatever culture, whatever country you're in, find the dumplings. Mm-hmm. Like just, just find the dumplings because yeah. there's a dumpling in every culture. <laughs> yeah. So go have the dumplings like, okay, great. Now I know, now I can explore out from here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but for, I, I imagine most of you, many of your listeners probably know what maltashan are, but they're, they're, I know. <laughs> they're, they're not too doughy. They're, they're like, they're like ravioli and they have, you're usually with onion and cheese mm-hmm. and they're super delicious. <laughs> like oh, they are. <laughs> They're really tasty. Um, yeah. But, but there's a, you know, having spent quite a bit of time in Germany over the years that there are the regional experience of German cuisine has, has crept into my, my foodiness. So now I'll say, oh, well, you know, if we're going to a Krug, you know, then I'm going to have, um, then I'll have, uh, or something Mm -hmm. like I'll go, I'll go a little out on a limb, um, (laughs) Or you know if we're in if we're in nordrhein in in it's like well you we have to go someplace for Pickert the the, mm. the potato pancakes because um, that's that's also a traditional food of my wife's childhood because um, of her mother coming from Germany. But I w- um, I love the fact now that we you know as hard as it is right now, we still live four blocks from an amazing uh, Austrian cafe bar and mm-hmm. cafe. Where we're friends again, friends with the owners, and it's <laughs> it's spectacular. It's just like yeah. to be able to go and have have cucumber salad that tastes like proper <laughs> Austrian or German cucumber salad. Mm-hmm. To have a a bratwurst and a pretzel and a and a pills and be like, okay, this is this is correct. Like this is done <laughs> the way I exp- I talk about there's 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 stretching your expectations, and there's also the importance of meeting your expectations, mm-hmm. and it's um, being able to have Werkstatt. Around the corner is uh, a source of enormous comfort and deliciousness. So good.
0: Yeah, I've I've definitely. I think you've posted a couple of photos there, and I've like I've seen the menu, and I'm like, yeah, that. I mean, there were like one <laughs> or two items, and was like, mm, I'm not so <laughs> sure about that. Like whether you would actually find that in Germany, but like it looked legit. Like it looked like something that you would find in like whatever Frankfurt or like that area yeah. probably.
1: It was, well, it's 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 definite. It's definitely Austrian uh it and it's definitely not german and specifically mm. austrian but it there's obviously enough um i mean it's like it's like say it well that's actually i was going to say something about canadian cuisine and 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 us cuisine but that's totally <laughs> unfair because they actually those those have a lot of differentiation mm. um
0: but, there are a lot of similarities between austrian yeah, and yeah there's german. a lot of
1: similarities so. <laughs> like what i'll tell you what we don't have near us is a good poutine place and that makes mm. me sad oh
0: yeah
1: <laughs> to go go ways for good poutine <laughs> um but yeah I mean I, I I feel like I have I have a number of home home cuisines mm-hmm. like home home cuisines culturally or home cuisines in terms of my life experience and I'm really happy about that like it makes me happy to, <laughs> to, to have that experience
0: yeah de- definitely uh, that's something I want I want to jump into a little bit um because I mean one I know that you spent some time in Germany yep. and it's definitely cuisine I mean, I've talked to one person on Foodie Flashback. She was from Germany, but other than that, we haven't explored that yet. And I would like—I would wow. be interested to see, like your like how you how you ended up in Germany and your food experience around that. Like, what what did you experience? What did you take from there? I mean, we've heard already a little bit, but like you know, yeah. Moldhaschen and what, what well, else? Do you a, it,
1: how 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 I ended up there is a law. Uh, well. Could be a short story, could be a long story, but I'll give you the I'll give you the medium short version. So actually, my uh, my grandparents, my mother's parents, left Germany in the 1930s. My mm-hmm. my I'm I'm Jewish, my family is Jewish, and my my grandparents were very fortunate to leave the country when they did uh, and come to the states. Um, but that, you know, obviously that is a fraught <laughs> that's a fraught relationship with mm-hmm. the German culture For and sure, the German yeah. country. But when I was um growing up and I had the choice when I started uh, junior high to choose a language I was going to study. And I thought I had, it was French, Spanish, Latin, or German. I was like, well, why not study German? Because that'll be great. My grandmother was still living at the time. I said, Mm -hmm. well, I can, I can speak, I can speak German with my grandmother and that'll be awesome. So fun fact, I am among the world's worst language students. Um, (laughs) Come to discover, and my grandmother, uh, who was you know a a German a a German expat of a certain age, mm. had zero patience with my uh, inability to speak proper German. Um, I think even, that's I mean, a German like, thing. <laughs> it's a very German thing. Well, at the time, I think yeah. today. Interestingly, my experiences in the country have been quite different, and the people are very enthusiastic when you make the attempt. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I didn't spend a lot of time speaking German with my grandmother. I didn't spend a lot of time speaking German with my mother or my father, both of whom did speak it. But, mm-hmm. but like, I, I took four years of German. I was really bad at it. <laughs> I mean, I learned, I learned, obviously, I learned some, mm-hmm. but I didn't really use it. And I thought after four years, like, all right, I'm never going to use this again. Then I went to college. In college, I met uh, a young woman. Um, her turned out her family, uh, specifically her mother was German. Uh, her mother was the only one of five children who had emigrated. Mm-hmm. So all of the extended family, the aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents were all in Germany, specifically in uh, Lippe mm-hmm. in Nordwein-Westfalen. So in the, in the Northwest part of the country, a place with not only regional cuisine, yep. but also a regional accent, yes, <laughs> which becomes relevant. So so once Heidi and I met and started dating, it, it was very early on in our relationship where um, we ended up going to Germany together on vacation. And at that point, neither of us spoke the language worth a darn. <laughs> So every place we went, any conversation we had, we had to have by committee. So her Mm -hmm. grandmother would ask us something, we would sort of converse, like, what do you think she said? I think she asked us if we want tea. (laughs) (laughs) And so we would agree and decide what we Mm -hmm. wanted to say back. Um, But we traveled around the whole country, visited all the family, and uh, that was was in May of 1990. uh, So 30, almost 31 years ago now. And we've been married for 21 years, and we have two children, and yada yada yada. So, almost unintentionally, my relationship with Germany and German culture is very, very different than mm-hmm. what it might have been if not for the fact that I married into a a half German family. Yeah. Coming from a half German family, yeah. very different kind of half German family, <laughs> I married into another half German family <laughs> with a with a vibrant and and dynamic connection to the to the 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 heimatland mm-hmm. so that's that's my connection to germany mm-hmm. i've been there i've been there for 13 or 14 times
0: mm-hmm. i mean that's also like are they all like in the same area like a lippe area or is the family like this like spread across germany well,
1: now they're now they're reasonably distributed i mean mm-hmm. i think in in 1990 more of them were were local but now there is a uh there is a set there's an aunt and uncle who are in Lemgo, which is mm-hmm. the closest to where uh, my mother-in-law grew up. My mother-in-law yeah. grew up in a town called Laga, oh, yeah. and from Germans. Sp- <laughs> you, oh, you know Laga? Well, really?
0: I have family in, in that area in general, so yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, you are <laughs> literally the only person <laughs> who has yeah. ever known where Laga is. I've okay. so so mm-hmm. for the non-German speakers listening to the podcast, Laga also is a word meaning location. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> It's a town called Place. It's, <laughs> it's not very tiny. big.
0: Nope, it's <laughs> tiny.
1: Um, <laughs> it's tiny, but it's lovely, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's and it's located in a very lovely part of the country. So there's a lot. There are the um, uh, Externsteine, which are these enormous mm-hmm. geological formations nearby, which are fun to climb on. Uh, there's the Hanmon's Denkmal, which is a enormous uh, sort of the Statue of Liberty esque yep. statue, um, which has some interesting and unfortunate nationalist connotations. But it's a of the uh, of the Germanic, the leader of the Germanic tribes who turned back the Romans, I believe. Or the, yes. I don't know if it was the barbarians. It was, no, the, Romans.
0: It was the Romans, actually, yeah. I, yeah. I said, I said, I've, um, my family is actually not too far away in Minden. I don't know whether I've heard about Minden, that. I, do, yeah, I Minden. do know roughly where Minden so is. That's where I, my grandpa and my grandma used to live, so I know that area.
1: Well, I had a, a colleague once, um, Petra Gruger, and I mentioned something about the family coming from from Laga, and she mm-hmm. said, and so she had burst out, said, Laga, Hermann Stankma. <laughs> I was like, "Where are you from?" She said, mm-hmm. Paderborn.
2: Mm-hmm. I was like, "Okay, <laughs> so right around
1: the corner." The, yep. Somewhere, I wish we still had the poster. We have all we have is a photograph of this poster, but there was an advertisement for when the airport in Potterborn started running flights to the U.S., mm-hmm. and it was a picture of the Hermann and the Statue of Liberty sort of facing one another. <laughs> okay. And it said, it Sona. never was your aunt in America so nearby. And it was amazing. That's it funny. was great marketing. It was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So, so we have, we have a photograph of that. Anyway, um, so Patrice knows where this is, but other folks may not. The fam, the rest of the family is now, there's a there's an aunt and uncle in Lemgo. There's an aunt and uncle in Bremen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an aunt and uncle in Cuxhaven on the North Sea, which mm-hmm. is beautiful and and fun to visit. Um, there's cousins in Hanover, in Hamburg, in um, I think there's a cousin in Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're all and the, and. And for a long time, we had family in Berlin, and then the family in Berlin moved back to Hamburg. So we don't have family in Berlin anymore. But so, but it's it's mostly in the like
0: western in the north northwestern northwestern, northwestern. Mm-hmm.
1: Hanover. There's in in uh, there's one set of cousins in Hanover, um, and and we we've had, you know, from time to time, we've had cousins actually here with us. We had Heidi's cousin living with us uh, for for a few months. I want to say this was three years ago. Um, which was great. And, mm-hmm. you know, I I mean, but but the, to the back to the point I made earlier about the regional cuisine and the regional accent. I when I arrived in Germany, and in the most of the time I've spent in Germany, I've spent it largely around folks from the same geographical area. Mm-hmm. So imagine you came to the US and you spent all your time with people who lived in western Pennsylvania. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> your English would start to sound like the English spoken in Western Pennsylvania.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When I speak with native, when I speak German with native German speakers, they say your German is fantastic. I say it's really not. It's actually <laughs> quite bad, and my comprehension mm-hmm. is crappy, and like my vocabulary is no, not great. It's not too bad. <laughs> what you? Well, but but what you're responding to, what your ear is telling you, is not that I speak German well. It's that I sound like I am from someplace. <laughs> I don't sound like I'm from Deutsche Welle. I don't mm-hmm. sound like I'm from the TV. Like BBC English or or like news ca- PBS NewsHour English yeah. in the US. Someone who talks like that doesn't sound like they're from a real place. Mm-hmm. True. I sound like I'm fr- I sound vaguely like I might be from, you know, mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Which is great, yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it's not, it's actually, a, it's a miscue. Like, like well, native German speakers hear it. Well, it makes them think I speak excellent yeah. German, but it, then I, it breaks down.
0: Time, so, yeah, but. that's, that's, that's so funny because that's something I've experienced. So I have a friend in Phoenix. Yes. She's from Croatia originally, grew up in mm-hmm. Germany and has been living in the U.S. for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Yeah. Has an, like she has three passports. Um, wow. She grew up. Literally in the same city as my dad. And when wow. she speaks German, I can tell. She hasn't spoken German in like twenty years. But whenever right. she does, I'm like, oh yeah, I know where she's like I didn't know and she started talking. And I'm like, I know where you're from. And she's right. like, how? And I'm like, I know exactly where you're from. <laughs> you can pinpoint it.
1: Yeah. And that's it's it's a it's amazing too because they're um they're I, 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 there are some many stories I'll tell them because it's unlikely any of my German relatives are going to hear this <laughs> um that uh one of the the grandson of uh, of Gerhard and Angelica um had two he had two grandfathers named Gerhard mm-hmm. because a lot of German men of that generation yeah. were named Gerhard and and he cal- well, first of all he called one of them Opa mm-hmm. and the other one Opa. Oh yeah. <laughs> which is the Lippish pronunciation. Mm-hmm. And 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 then it was the it was also that it was Gerhard or Gerhard. Which <laughs> yeah, is exaggerated, but there's exactly, a but, but yeah. there's that, there's a very accent. Yeah. yeah. So my my Lippish accent is there mm-hmm. and 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 i it, it it doesn't work if you're told about it ahead of time. That's mm-hmm. the trick. You have to be immersed in it for years. And then someone tells you, Oh, by the way, you speak with a Lippish accent. I'm like I don't know what you're talking about. But true enough, mm-hmm. there are these there are these, you know, f- the phonemes that go in different directions. And I think there was a there's a there's a website or there's a New York Times quiz that asks you, as in mm-hmm. the U.S., yeah. how do you pronounce? What do you say for this word? Or how, does this like when you say this, does it rhyme mm-hmm. with A or rhyme with B? And it will pinpoint you to like one side of the Ohio River Valley or the other, or, like well, one part of a particular yeah. state.
0: In some places, um, it can even pinpoint to you to what part of the city you grew up in, like <laughs> right, in, in, which in is Phoenix. Creepy. In Phoenix, for example, it can tell you whether you're from Glendale or from Phoenix, like Phoenix Valley. Like it, 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 it goes into that detail sometimes. It's That's really super. What creepy. was really funny. I took that quiz. I mean this is not a language podcast, but it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> but is it? I took it, that quiz really? <laughs> and I, I, I ended up like in the like Phoenix, California area. Like my accent. What? I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense because that's most people I interact with are from that area. So I just picked yeah. that up automatically.
1: Yeah, like, and that's that's what yeah. happened to me with German. <laughs> and I guess also with German food. So, you know, to come back to the the th- things that are culturally communicated, mm-hmm. language, um, Posture, social interactions, food. Uh, my experience of German food really started in in uh, Westphalia, mm-hmm. and and so and and specifically in Lippa. Yeah. And so, you know, again, for when you think about German cuisine, it's 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 got broad, you know, sort of geographical contours, but it also has these very specific yeah. local <laughs> uh, or hyper-local cuisines. Yeah. So in Lippa... We've got a. I'll, I'll, I'll grab it at the end of the show and show it to you because I know you want to see it. It's a book called <laughs> Omas Recepta, uh-huh. um, but it's but it's all specific stuff to this mm. to this area. I think many of my of the relatives did not wish to inflict that on me necessarily, or they felt. It, it, it's it's country cooking, like it's mm-hmm. it's not considered cosmopolitan or yeah. or, or foodie yeah. highfalutin foodie cooking, <laughs> um, but it's very good. It's very mm-hmm. hearty and very tasty. And so, um, the the signature dish of the reason, region, which I mentioned earlier, is pickert, which is a um, sort of farm farm pancake, maybe mm-hmm. um, made made in the morning, it, designed to be cooked in the morning to be eaten in the afternoon so something that that you could take out with you to, into the fields with you mm-hmm. and it's a it's a yeasty it's a it's a leavened potato pancake a yeasty potato pancake very tasty and often served with um sometimes with metwurst but often with rubenkraut mm-hmm. which is the the sugar beet syrup um uh which is delicious. It goes really good on vanilla ice <laughs> yeah, I cream. Do re-
0: I do remember that. that. You mentioned that my grandma used to have that.
1: <laughs> right. What? We, th- I th- I'm sure we have some in the cabinet because mm-hmm. it's like honey. It very rarely it doesn't. I mean, honey never goes bad. Rubenkraut, I know, can can last for yeah, years. Forever. <laughs> and in fact, you know, talking about f- the about family there, Uncle Gerhard, who I mentioned, was a young child during, um, during the Second World War, and he remembers being sent by his mother to the to the man in the village who was cooking down the sugar beets mm-hmm. for Rubenkraut and to get bring the beets that they had in their garden and to get back the the jar mm. of Rubenkraut.
2: So
0: Yeah, I do remember um, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it, it,
1: that's it, that's my that's my mm-hmm. original connection to German food. Of course it's broadened over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of like German street food and and like the the you know, a broad averse averse to go kind of th- like mm-hmm. if you take me to a place where there's many uh, food trucks or stands, as uh, is true in, in Chelsea Market in New York, if you take me to that place, like, okay, Mike, close your eyes, spin around, point to what you want. I will almost inevitably end up at the broad verse stand. <laughs> um, and I'm very happy. <laughs> I'm very happy when I do. It just draws me in. I don't mm-hmm. know why.
0: Yeah, that's, the, I think that's another thing that you see all around the world. It's meat in some shape, like tube shape. Like it, ca- it can be completely different. It can like, like yeah. with a casing, without a casing, but it's some sort of meat in, in that shape you'll find in a lot of places. Um, I mean, Germany is known for that, I think, to some extent, like especially <laughs> certain oh, yeah. regions, at least like Berlin, like, and then like Nuremberg area. Definitely, like Nürnberger, Frankfurt, obviously Frankfurter. Um, but it's you will see that in so many places, and it's 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 so interesting to to discover that. Yeah. Um, like what? What else do you remember food wise from Germany? Like, I mean, we we talked about the Lippe region, but you said you traveled a little bit, so we I'm did. Curious. We
1: traveled. We we I I, I love Berlin. I love Berlin so much. I, I love Berlin is, is the, you know, having grown up in New York city, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how many of your listeners have the experience of growing up in a big city and then finding it sometimes hard to be comfortable other places mm-hmm. or feeling, feeling like other places are too small or too quiet. Um, the first time I went to Berlin, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is it. This is good. And ever like, I've never had a bad time in Berlin. I love <laughs> Berlin. Um I love I love how how funky it is. I love I just love it. And I love I love the cultural experience of it and I love the food experience of it. So really um we we not infrequently find ourselves one of one evening while we're in Berlin sort of aimlessly wandering around the the streets near um the um the, the Kaiser Wilhelm Gedächtniskirche. Mm-hmm. So sort of like right, right near that central square. And there's, for those who know don't know Berlin, it's the the ruined church, and also the modern church are both in the center of this big square. And then there's skateboarders, mm-hmm. you know, all over on one side, and there's a big plaza. But then it's it's a it's a, the streets radiate out in a in a in a um in rays in a circular pattern as opposed to being on a grid. And l- literally any of those streets you walk down, you're going to pass a lot of tourist joints and and restaurants catering to the tourist trade which we don't mind because we have (laughs) one place there that i'm trying to remember the name of it but it's like it's like berlin 2 or something it's like not a very distinctive name but we but we love it and it's just like you know hearty and 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 delightful um so berlin the berlin dining experience i really like when we're in kookshafen we always are eating fish Mm -hmm. um and that's that's totally great as well. And then it's, then it's a lot of home cooking. Um, My uh, uncle Gerhard loves to grill. He has a, he has a cowboy style swinging grill that goes over a, a campfire. So he'll make um, pork cutlets there. Um, He, the first time he met me again, so we're talking like 1990, well, maybe not 1990, but maybe this, the next visit Mm -hmm. um, he was, he, he went out of his way to get, um, I think turkey cutlets because he's like, well, I don't, I don't want to make Mike, you know, I'm not sure Mike eats pork. And I was like, well, I do. So it's very, it's fine, but it's very thoughtful of you to think about it. Um, And um, the other, the other primary memory, and so many of these are associated with family is in, um, is with Heidi's uh, uncle Hans-Jürgen and Aunt Ruth who currently live in Bremen and used to live in a tiny town called Barnstorf. Um, Hans-Jürgen is a, a wienophile and has an impressive wine cellar and wine mm-hmm. collection. So inevitably, you know, the first night, we, first day we would be with them in the evening, he, he would say, so what are we drinking? And, and we'd say, well, <laughs> you know, say, so what do you like? What are you in the mood for? And we're like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe a Burgundy or a, um, you know, a, a Malbec. He's like, ooh, and he would disappear. and He'd come back with like four <laughs> bottles, and I, you, I mean, we get so plastered. In fairness, <laughs> we got plastered everywhere we went. And again, I say this knowing it is highly unlikely that my family will hear this. Um, my my wife's family. This is another piece of like going to going to the same place over and over again, mm-hmm. but also going to be with the same people over and over again. I I gained the experience after having gone to a couple of weddings and silver anniversaries with my wife's extended family that they're like, you had to pace yourself because (laughs) this, because you did start doing your liver exercises a month Mm -hmm. in advance. Yep. (laughs) And I, and I thought this seems like, I don't know how they, how they do it. And a German wedding, you know, the celebration Will go all night long and it's you mm-hmm. know two in the morning. There's trays being passed of Akavit yep. and Jägermeisters. Like, what, how, how am I supposed to make it to breakfast at this pace? You don't. Um, <laughs> it's it was insane. It is, it so, is
0: typical for that area to be fair. Like, it's not well, you will not experience the same thing like in other parts. Not, well, this not to is, this is consent, what I was, at least <laughs>
1: this is this is um uh, this is what I was trying to figure out. So mm-hmm. then, some years, years into this, my uh, Heidi's cousin Klaus. Uh, was getting married or met met a woman and Anna, who's now his wife, and and she's amazing and delightful, and she's from Eckenföda mm-hmm. near the near the border with Denmark, so she's not from Lippa, and she was not part of. She's obviously marrying into the family, so at one point I said, Anna, I gotta ask you, like I've been, I've been ten years with these people, <laughs> is it, is it all Germans? who drink like this or are they exceptional in this regard? And she looked at me and she said, I have never met people who drink like this. I was like, well, that's a huge relief because I I needed somebody who could, who could come in from sort of the outside of the family and give me an unvarnished take on it. So the, yeah, the booze is a big, big part of that um, food, food and drink heavy on the drink experience with, with my wife's family.
0: It definitely is. I mean, I have, like, an uncle in, like, the Bremen area, Oldenburg. And, mm-hmm. like, I remember his, I think it was his 60th birthday. Um, yeah, we drank all night. Like, there was, I mean, they, they, they put out alcohol, like, after midnight. They were dancing until, like, 6 a.m. And they're, as I said, at 60. Like, it's not, like, other people you would expect at that age are, like, oh, maybe, like, go to bed at 10 p.m. Like, that's kind of a stereotype. No. <laughs> <laughs> no they're drinking no, the, they're partying like that's, yeah, that's la- that region
1: like well the last family wedding we went to i can't I wish i could remember the name of the town i'll have to look it up but we were at a castle
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and and it was very much that you know like at 2 a.m it was the dj was really just getting started it was <laughs> insane yeah um but i love i mean i love i love german weddings i just am you know not as young as i
2: used to be <laughs> can't really
1: appreciate them the way that i did
0: you don't have the the decades of of practice and like getting ready for that
1: <laughs> and you need you need to you need to plan ahead oh yeah but it's but it's 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 a it's a delightful family and mm-hmm. i and i i have to say i feel very fortunate um to have been welcomed in um and extremely fortunate like weirdly weird bizarre Set of circumstances where at least I had a foundation mm-hmm. with the language before before becoming a part of that extended family. Um, it it really is true that it doesn't like I, I've unfortunately I've sadly let it languish a lot, but it it goes a long way having a basic facility with the language and and making the effort. Mm-hmm. What I have seen over the you know the thirty years or so that we've been going there um, is particularly, particular in, in particular in Berlin, Berlin has changed from a city where, first of all, it helped to speak German to then, well, you, it didn't really matter whether you spoke German or English to now where it's preferentially English.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's
1: super weird. (laughs) Like it's really legitimately strange to walk into a coffee shop in Berlin. And before you say anything, be asked what your order is in English. Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's bizarre. It,
0: it uh, is. I, I have some some friends that have like uh, some expats in in like Germany. They've complained about that a little bit. That like they want to learn the language, <laughs> a and a everybody strange. insists on speaking English now. <laughs> so it yeah. is it
1: is the sixth it is the sixth borough of New York City. Like it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's like you carved off some of Brooklyn and took it to Europe. <laughs> and I don't mind because I live in Brooklyn and I mm-hmm. like it here. So I'm happy when I go to Berlin. But it is it's. It is one of the weirder things, in my experience, to have that to to have that specificity of mm-hmm. experience. That I'm sure that was true of you know Paris in the 1950s. Like wherever there's a large American community, mm-hmm. there's going to be this sort of Englishification, and that's okay, I guess. But it's the it's a combination of like the expat community, the artistic community, and the startup community yeah in berlin yeah. that has just it's it went it's gone way over to that side mm-hmm. and it to be noticeable enough for somebody who shows up for a week every other <laughs> year to see it happen and to mm-hmm. witness it happening that to me is amazing like yeah. i'm just like wow my first visit to berlin in may of 1990 was when there was still an East Germany yeah, <laughs> and when there was still a Grenze, the, bo- the wall was down, but I had an American passport. We couldn't, we couldn't just walk across. We had mm-hmm. to go to checkpoint Charlie. Um, and where, when we rode the U-Bahn, we were, we were riding on the subway in, in Berlin and we got to the Alexanderplatz station and continued on. And our host, um, uh, Trudy Kataean of, of blessed memory said, you don't know how weird this is because for, decades, this train has stopped here and they made everybody get off and then mm-hmm. it would like ghost train on across the border. But now it's just going through and it's like everybody on the train is like, this is super freaky. We're like, oh, this <laughs> just seems normal. But yeah. that but that was the first time I ever mm-hmm. went to Berlin. It was May of 1990. And then to be there in, you know, 2018 or yeah. 2019. Very different like, to
0: <laughs> Very different. Yeah, so very different.
1: different too. Um, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I want to jump back a little bit in in history, um, hmm. I kind of I kind of wonder about like your upbringing. I mean, you said mm-hmm. like a Jewish upbringing. Was it very traditional, or was it more like Reform Jewish?
1: It was not very traditional. Um, it was we were uh, we. I mean, we went to we went to synagogue and we observed mm-hmm. the holidays, but it was reform. It was Reform. Mm-hmm. We went to a Reform synagogue. My my mother grew up Reform. Uh, my father grew up in a grew up conservative mm-hmm. so his parents his parents definitely kept kosher and and were were a little more traditional um but i definitely it was a you know it was, we that that was the that was the tradition of our home mm-hmm. and we we um often would light candles on friday evening and we we definitely you know yeah. we had big passover celebrations and so forth so so that's been that's been my lifelong experience mm-hmm. and there's definitely of course a lot of food
0: yeah associated but with that th- that's I, what i wanted sense to where ask. You're going. And this <laughs> is what I wanted to ask, because, I mean, uh, my wife just, like, is in the process of converting, and one, I mean, one thing I have observed, and I don't know whether it's true or not, is that food seems to be very, very important.
2: Mm, like, it is. Play,
0: play a really important role. So I, I, I'm kind of curious, like, what what do you remember, what you grew up with?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, there's so much. Uh, there, I, I think if you ask a lot of well, I'm not going to talk about other people. I'm going to talk about me. <laughs> so, I I definitely have strong memories of of Passover mm-hmm. uh, from when I was a kid. And Passover is one of those holidays that has a, it, it it has an inescapable culinary component. Like other holidays, mm-hmm. you could sort of, depending on what you want to do or or what you know what specific part of of the Jewish world and Jewish culture you come from, you could have very very different experiences. Mm-hmm. And it's really true for um, for in the distinction between the Eastern European Ashkenazi um, Mm -hmm. Jewish tradition and the um, Central Asia or, um, or Southern Europe tradition of uh, Sephardim Mm -hmm. um, very different cuisines cuisines, and actually very different holiday observances as well. But Passover pretty much everybody's going to have one thing in common, which is uh, the absence of leaven Mm -hmm. and the presence of matzah. So when I was a kid, um, one of the things that I always enjoyed was at the, at the Passover Seder when my, my grandfather and my uncle were usually the people who led it. Um, and then we would get to the part of the Seder The the Seder is one of the few times in, in Jewish practice or Jewish tradition where there is a prescribed, not only is there prescribed food, but there is a prescribed sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the Hillel sandwich. So the, um, the ritual foods on the Passover table include um, uh, maror, which is horseradish or bitter herbs, and usually in the form of, of whole root or grated horseradish, which is of course very clears the sinuses and is very spicy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> matzah, which is that flat unleavened mm-hmm. bread, cracker-like bread, and chorosit, which is the which is a sweet paste, usually made with apples and walnuts and and wine um and it is traditional and it's actually articulated in the in the hagada in the the order in the 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 Seder, uh, order mm-hmm. uh, or in the practice of the ritual meal it is traditional to eat those three things together is to eat the the horseradish the charoset and the matzah all together it's called a hillel sandwich it is delicious And so
0: (laughs) I've had it. So yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's really yummy. Um, and depending the, the, the fun part for me now is that it's possible sometimes to get, it's like surprise Doritos. Sometimes you (laughs) get horseradish that is ridiculously hot and people Mm -hmm. aren't expecting it. And so everybody will put a glop on their Hillel sandwich and take (laughs) a bite and like watch their heads explode Mm -hmm. across the table. It's amazing. Um, But that was always a memory I had as a child Mm -hmm. of like, oh, this is like, this is going to be an extreme experience or, Mm -hmm. or a, like you're, you're eating something that may make you uncomfortable, but you're doing it because it's, it's specifically to form memories. Mm -hmm. The entire Seder is about generational communication and telling the story of the Exodus from Egypt. And so if you're going to do that, you should have memorable food. So we're going to do that. We're going to have parsley that we dip and we're going to have the, the matzah and we're going to have the Hillel sandwich and we're going to have matzah ball soup, which is yummy. And we're going to have, you know, Mm -hmm. these traditional foods are going to make their way into the meal. So that, that was all, that was something we did. We did every year. Mm -hmm. Um, I, my, like in terms of home cooking, it wasn't especially like it didn't seem to have a particularly Jewish flavor. My mother did, make my grandmother's brisket and Mm -hmm. other other dishes. But it was really when we were with my um my grandparents, my father's parents, um, that we were exposed to, you know, a a broader spectrum of Jewish foods. My 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 grandmother was an amazing cook, my grand grandma Mickey, and she was also an amazing baker. Mm -hmm. And so she her baked goods were ridiculous. (laughs) and she she would make she would make cookies she would make coconut cake and she made apricot bars which were a um like a blondie style cookie bar with a with a, a shortbread it wasn't really a shortbread layer but it was but and then oats and mm-hmm. apricot preserves so so delicious after she died the we the recipe was lost for many years, and even then, once we recovered the recipe, which was, like, written in longhand <laughs> uh, in, in the side of a newspaper clipping mm-hmm. in a folder, <laughs> nobody yes, could really quite – replicate. as they mm-hmm. often are mm-hmm. – nobody could really replicate the experience of it until my daughter and her cousin – Teamed up and tried it, and, and because Shoshi, my my younger daughter, is an amazing baker, mm-hmm. she's like, I think I need to blind bake this crust, this lower crust, a little bit, and see if I, like give it a little bit more structure, and it it finally came out in a way that triggered the sense memory, like <laughs> it, ooh, it that's it,
0: yeah, it's really interesting. Like the, if you if you ask, like especially those grandma recipes, like even if they're written down, they're never mm-hmm. complete. Nope. Like they, they, they always just left do it, out something. Yeah, it, they just do it from memory. Like they've been doing it for so long. they like, even if they try to write it down, they they don't remember all the steps because it's just an automatic thing that they just do. So yeah. like, I have recipes for my grandma, and it took me a long time to to replicate them too because, yeah, same thing. Like the, she she didn't mention half of the things she did. <laughs> like I, I mean, some in some cases I remembered and I knew because I had cooked it with her, and I was like, okay, yeah, I I know. Like she she just wrote like one thing here, but it's like seven steps. Like, okay, I, I know that. But it, yeah, it's it it takes a while. And it's sometimes it's sad. On the other hand, I think that's kind of the magic of a grandmother, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean it 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 seems it seems very clear that in the in the second half of the twentieth century there was a um, there was a gap in knowledge transfer mm-hmm. in a lot of ways between the previous generation and the and the yeah. next generation because because people weren't living in multi generational contexts the mm-hmm. same way they had been for the prior you know two hundred three hundred years uh, or longer and so if you didn't if you didn't make a specific effort mm-hmm. to do that to do that transfer stuff got stuff got dropped yeah. fortunately. You know my grandmother did leave a lot of her recipes written down she also participated in um fundraising cookbooks for mm-hmm. synagogues or 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 uh, JCCs. So she would contribute a lot of her recipes. And in fact, she would contribute a lot of her recipes and then credit them to her daughter's-in-law or her mm-hmm. or her nieces. So you see all these recipes <laughs> that are like, there's recipes in this cookbook from Jacksonville, Florida that are attributed to my mom that she never, like, <laughs> she never made that. But it was my grandmother's recipe that mm-hmm. she's like, oh, put it in, put it into her, her name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, we have a lot of that. I mean, I mm-hmm. I think that I... I was, you know, you talk about food memories from, from the religious experience, the cultural side of it is that I, one of my, one of the things I loved when I was a kid was on um, Saturday mornings going with my dad to Bagel Nosh, which was the bagel mm-hmm. chain of bagel stores in New York at the time, the 1970s. And so we would walk, we'd walk a few blocks over to Bagel Nosh and we would wait in line, and my dad would order, you know, a dozen dozen bagels and a half a pound of scallion cream cheese and a half a pound of lox. And <laughs> we'd go home and he would, um, he would slice, thin slice the Bermuda onion. I got to talk to him and find out how he does that because I'm, I'm very bad at slicing onions. But he would, he would thin slice the Bermuda onion and thin <laughs> slice the tomato and the capers. And then you know, and, and brunch on Saturday would be bagels and lox.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that was, that was consistent across mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I love a bagel, bagel Me and lock. I had, I had one. <laughs> did I have one today? No, I had one yesterday. <laughs> I, had, I had one yesterday mm-hmm. for lunch. Um, I love bagels and lox. I've always mm-hmm. loved bagels and lox. I will, you know, I'll eat them at any opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> My wife, who is an ordained rabbi. Not a huge fan. Like, just not not her favorite thing. And my children don't like locks on bagels. And I feel mm. that's like I feel like you know I I talked earlier about their adventurous palates. I feel like this is a cultural gap where I've got to go back. It's like oh well no, but you really you need to you need to people people won't believe that you are a Jewish kid from Brooklyn if you don't eat this. And they're like no, it's we, true. Yeah, we've got I mean, we got plenty of street yeah. cred. We don't need that.
0: Yeah, it, it it bagels is one of those things that like. Has I think to some extent transcended like oh, yeah. the, the culture and also New York as a, like as a yeah. place. It's everywhere. Um, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> I don't even remember how I learned about bagels, but I do remember that I ordered them from a place like a bakery in Berlin uh, <laughs> because like I mean they were hard to get in like where I was, but they delivered them. You know? So I would order like whatever forty eight bagels and then just freeze them. Um, the funny thing. I, I, like two or three weeks ago, I was craving bagels, and you can't get them here. I will. You can get the really bad ones that you get at supermarket. Um, I made bagels. I made bagels this week, New York you style. Did? New York style, like everything oh, bagels. i I'm, I started doing them again because, like, I, I, I was craving them. I don't do them with lux. I'm not a big fan of lux. That's okay. Uh, but not like obligated. cream cheese, but- cream cheese and tomatoes, a little bit of cheese usually.
1: I would I would that's an Instagram live I would watch, by the way, is your <laughs> is your bagel making. I I I've always I think like one of the culinary questions I've always I've always been curious about like is there is there a definitive answer is mm-hmm. why the bread products of New York City, specifically bagels and pizza, mm-hmm. um, but also maybe some other pastries as well, but like bagels and pizza particularly, why they don't taste the same other places hmm. and 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 this is interesting too because there's montreal bagels which mm-hmm. are delicious but don't taste the same as new york <laughs> city bagels um
0: <laughs> i mean there's chicago bagel. pizza and it's definitely there's chicago pizza is great
1: <laughs> there's, yeah. like there's good pizza other places but it doesn't <laughs> taste like new york pizza yeah. there's good there's eh, i'm not gonna say there's good bagels other places but there's acceptable bagels other places mm-hmm. tell you someplace you can't get a bagel for love or money and and enjoy it is israel which is super disappointing <laughs> <laughs> their bagels are bad um but but the but you know that that and then you know the cuisine of of israel is a whole nother thing mm-hmm. and another place i spent a lot of time um but the the experience of a new york city bagel and then trying to figure out was well, it the water like what exactly is going on here my best guess is it's the mineral content of the tap water
2: mm-hmm.
1: that is creating that specific set of of circumstances that alchemy that you need to have the the proper crust but still the mm-hmm. the slightly doughy uh soft inside and it not be not be too flat not be too puffy yeah. not be too round st- like this. It's not easy. No, it's not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As I can tell you, it it is. Yeah. uh, Yeah, it's, it's, you're probably right. It's, it's probably the water. It's probably a little bit also environment, like air and so on, like that has an influence. Uh, Yeah. Or the, or, or the,
1: the, the wild yeast Mm -hmm. um, is also relevant too. Um, uh, It's not simply, It's not simply something that you can replicate from a recipe. It says water. It's like, okay, but what kind? And this is I mean <laughs> Even this is flour. Like, the same. like it
0: starts with a flour. Like it,
1: <laughs> there there's oh, like right. seventeen the million
0: different kinds of flour. Like it it's like <laughs> that's that's the thing. I, I found a YouTube video from a guy in New York who made New York bagels. Mm-hmm. And I followed it. And I'm like, doesn't work. <laughs> My flour is <laughs> different, water is different. I'm still working out the uh, like the ingredients, like how much water, what flour I'm using here. Like the yeast is different. Like everything is different. You're the absolute right. Uh, I,
1: I I wonder how much of it is just like it's like Belgian beer. Mm. Um, that if you if you don't have the actual microbes, the same microbes that have mm-hmm. been growing in the same same swamp for yeah. thousands of years. If you yeah. don't have those in the air, you can't mm-hmm. make the thing. Yeah. Like you just can't, you can't replicate. You would have yeah. What you would have to do is get a tank full of the air and bring the <laughs> air with you. Well, um, yeah,
0: <laughs> you could do that. Uh, which is not a
1: bad idea. I yeah. wonder if like, you know, bring bring a tank of New York air. I should start selling New York air. <laughs> oh, you
0: should. <laughs> Thought. Uh, but I, I don't think that's that important. Like I think, maybe I mean, you not. can make good bagels and they're not New York bagels. But they can still be good. Like it doesn't like it doesn't mean that they have to be bad. They're just different, which is fine. Like it's as as you said, it's like pizza. Like yeah, there's like there's a big difference between New York pizza and like whatever uh, Southern Italy pizza.
1: Oh my god! Even within Italy, yeah. they're like,
0: <laughs> like yeah. every city city has their own kind of pizza. So
1: that's uh, that's some place I'm sad. I've 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 never been. I've had a number yeah. of opportunities to go to Italy, and it's never it's never quite panned out. Um, <laughs> you sure and I. I I should, and, and yeah. we were we were talking before before the the recording started. Um, we we lost a, a member of the family mm-hmm. this week. My my stepfather, uh, Robert Perlman, who lived in Italy for uh, from when he was uh, twenty to maybe twenty three or twenty four,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that informed his you know culinary interests and his his palate. For the rest of his life, yeah, definitely. Um, into you know, he 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 died at the age of eighty-one, and for mm-hmm. for that entire time, like there were things that just weren't any good if they weren't if you weren't in Italy. Mm-hmm. And he I mean he drank multiple Montepulciano, multiple uh, and he he loved to make uh, veal Parmesan and like and his his one of his favorite restaurants and another place that was a a culinary memory from my childhood was an Italian restaurant. In New York City, that I don't think exists anymore, uh, it was called Il Vagabondo, and it was a ground level. It was it, like you walked down the sidewalk into this place on the East Side, and they had, you know, Fellini esque photographs, mm-hmm. black and white photographs on the walls of pasta, and <laughs> and it was loud, and they had a bar, but at the back of the bar there was a bocce court. Mm -hmm. so people would go and they'd take their drink and they'd wait for the food to be ready and they'd play bocce. Um, but just amazing, like delicious, just delicious, uh, veal, delicious, uh, chicken and, uh, filet, uh, filet limone, which was, I, you know, I always enjoyed there Mm -hmm. and he would always, he'd always come in and he'd order the, he'd order the veal Parmigiana. That was his thing. (laughs) Um, yeah, two, two, a person in a place, no longer with us. um, Bob Perlman and Il Vagabondo, both, both well-remembered.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, I have friends in Italy and I've been a couple of times and it's definitely one of my favorite memories, to be honest.
1: I gotta go. I'll that's, that's on my, that's on my post-pandemic list is mm-hmm. to go. and You know, it's, of, of all the places I have been, um... I think, sec- you know, German cuisine and Israeli cuisine are, are have big, have big roles, but I got to say that New Zealand was probably my favorite culinary destination.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: Um, it, because it, because it was a lot of flavor. We mm-hmm. went there in 2000 on our honeymoon and it was a lot of flavors that, you know, that I had never experienced. It just, and just like amazing, amazing lamb and amazing produce and, and herbs and also fantastic wine. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, just everything tasted good. And I don't know if it's because we were young and in love and <laughs> on the other side of the planet, but everything tasted really well, good. I was really well, Oh it
2: didn't
0: hurt, I would say. Didn't hurt. Didn't make things taste worse. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's that's definitely definitely a place to go to. If you need recommendations for Italy, let me know. Like I have for there. I, so. I will.
1: I will. <laughs> I and I'll this, tell you that yeah. an Italian dish is my favorite, my single favorite dish to make and eat is an Italian dish, which is, uh, hot cherry pepper pork chops, which I had in a restaurant in Philadelphia, uh, 17 years ago. And it was another one of those culinary experiences that it was like, it was on the verge of being painful. It was right up to the edge of like (laughs) too intense to actually enjoy, but it's pork chops sauteed with garlic, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: hot cherry peppers, and the vinegar from the cherry peppers. And it is it's so simple to make,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it is absolutely freaking delicious. And it's so, and I I do make it pretty hot and it's hot enough that only one of my children will eat it, <laughs> which is a good line. It's like mm-hmm. if you, if you can turn off at least one person, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. And mm-hmm. it is really, it's like, I'm doing this because I know I'm going to have a specific experience when I eat it and I'm really looking forward to that. So I will, I will drive forward with it. <laughs>
0: Love it. When you mentioned that, that just reminded me of um, I used to make, well, let's call it Chinese-inspired food because it definitely wasn't Chinese food, but it was inspired. Um, yeah. That only me and our cat could eat. <laughs> it was it was so spicy that nobody in the family could eat it, oh, other Patrice. than the cat. She loved Ouch. it. Ouch! <laughs> I don't know why the cat loved it. Like
1: <laughs> that's bizarre. I've never I've never made anything that my cat. Really enjoyed so maybe I just I'm not I'm not going far enough afield
0: probably yeah. um,
1: but that's great yeah, that's well amazing. well I I've, I've taken up so much of your time is is there any is there any last question that we
0: want to cover um, there is I mean I have I have a list I, you will have to come back I have a list okay good. <laughs> um, there is one thing because you mentioned it earlier like that you like kitchen gadgets and i wanted to know what is the mo- the worst or the most useless kitchen gadget you've you've bought
1: <laughs> wow um the worst or the most useless um i i'll go with the one i've gotten i've bought more varieties of to no particular purpose <laughs> which was a few years ago i i had a i had a out of buying garlic peelers mm-hmm. or things to peel garlic with. And the one, the one that I bought that was particularly useless was like this round rubber cylinder where you'd put the garlic cloves inside and then press it down on the countertop and roll it back and forth. Mm-hmm. Didn't really work. And I've since discovered that the best way to peel garlic is either to smash it yep. or you know press crack it with the knife on the cutting board, which is great. Or you can put garlic cloves in a, in a screw top jar Mm-hmm. close the lid and shake the jar for 10 seconds and the and the the, the garlic uh, garlic peels will come right off
2: mm-hmm.
1: and if I'd known any of these tricks like <laughs> technique wise mm-hmm. I never would have bought all the garlic peelers but I bought a, I bought enough garlic peelers that my wife made fun of me for buying too many <laughs> garlic peelers so
0: <laughs> the fact that you bought more than one is, is funny. <laughs> I know it's weird
1: and you know, like garlic presses and garlic mm-hmm. you know garlic whatever's. I mean don't get me wrong i love garlic um i might go you know just make a, a bagna cauda you know right now when we get mm-hmm. off the phone um because i love it and i'll eat it anytime day or night but i am not i am not much with the peeling of it <laughs> i gotta i gotta get better at that <laughs>
0: Wow, well, I was. It's just something that 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 I thought of when you mentioned uh, kitchen gadgets, because there's there's stuff out there that you can buy, and like I've like I've I've done it, and then you think about it, and, like yeah, why did I buy this? Like I never ever used. <laughs> it, it. There
1: was no point. There was yeah. no point. It's true. And yeah. sometimes they're they're expensive, mm-hmm. uh, and you you regret it sooner than you would yeah. otherwise.
0: I have like I, the the one that I remember is like a like a like it's kind of a julienne peeler. Mm You can, like, peel really, like, thin slices of whatever, carrots or whatever. I still have it. I've never used it in, like, 10 years. It has (laughs) moved across the ocean twice already, and I still haven't used it. (laughs) Not ideal. It wasn't expensive, so that's that's the only good thing. (laughs) All right, Mike, um, thank you so much for doing this. It's... (laughs) I have so many notes, so I will have to do some <laughs> research and find all the links for it. Um, you definitely have to come back. There's like so many questions. Uh, I would be
1: glad to. It's been a pleasure, and I, I it's uh, it's delightful to see you again after so much time, and yeah. also to talk about talk about the uh, the, the the wide range of uh, culinarily associated topics. Some we're a little far afield from some of them, but you know, <laughs> yeah. there's ne- there's never not a way to connect things Absolutely. to food.
0: We've we've covered a lot of ground. Like I mean, it's it, it definitely went completely different direction than I thought. Which is, which is what this show is really. Like this, like I have an idea what I'm going to talk about. It never never pans out <laughs> because yeah, because that's that's not what the show is about. It's not about me. It's about you. So that's why. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, tell the good people where they can find you.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Mike T Rose. Uh, You can find me on the aforementioned after show, which is aftershowpodcast.com or the underscore after show on Twitter. And you can find me sometimes on Chuck Joyner's Mac voices live, uh, which records live every Tuesday afternoon. And finally uh, at this week in particular, you can find me on Ken Ray's in a few minutes. Uh, which you can, I believe, is linked off macosken.com mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I will put the links in the show notes, so everything to find here. I have, like, I'm not going to lie, I have, like, plenty links at least, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, well I do, who knew we were going to end up back in in, uh, in northwestern Germany, oh, but that's where we, that's absolutely.
0: we did. <laughs> I didn't, see, I, I learned something. I didn't even know that you, that you, like we're in that region. I knew that you were in Germany, but like I had no clue where. So yeah,
1: it's it, funny. It's well there is a there's a theres a there's a song. It's like, you know, everywhere you go, the the Lippa the, the Lippeshire folks are there. Mm-hmm. Or the Lippes is <laughs> sind da it, mm-hmm. and and the first time I heard that song, I was like, oh, that's a that's a fun little tune about, you know, being being from this particular region. And then I later found out, as we did on this very podcast, that it's literally true. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that these this is this is a, a, a part of the world where people have have exploded outward in mm-hmm. many directions. And there's a lot of expats and people who who trace their roots back to this part of northwestern germany absolutely. so they're they're not kidding around with the songs nope. like everywhere nope. you
0: go <laughs> absolutely not thank you so much for being here mike thank you so much everybody for listening um if you want to find the show notes and everything head over to foodie forward slash uh, that should be episode number 19 i think so forward slash 19 um you will find all the other episodes all the fun people i've talked to and if you want to be on the show like mike um, then just reach out to me either there's a contact form on the website or at foodie flashback on twitter um i don't think i'm on instagram yet and maybe i should go than that um yeah thanks for listening talk to you next time Bye bye